Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, what's happening, everybody? It is the Utopia Football Podcast. Uh, episode two this week, and episode two typically is the mailbag episode and today is no different we got a lot of good questions from you guys to the mailbag h-o-u mailbag at gmail.com my name is sean pendergast one half of pain and pendergast mornings on sports radio 610 and i am joined as always by my good friend the hall of famer our senior texans columnist at sports radio 610.com and gallerysports.com as well john mcclain um, John, how uh, a scale of one to ten, how nervous are you about the Astros' slow start right now? They've started slow in the past. They were two and four last year, seven and nine, eleven and eleven. But some of the problems that you worried about before the season are problems that they have. And to me, you can't just wait till June when you get Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley back. You know, the bottom of their order, when I say the bottom now, that's six down. They're almost automatic outs. And if you rest one of the front first five, then it's even worse. So the pitching, the starting pitching, even though Framber Valdez uh, only gave up one earned run in the second game against the Tigers, the starting pitching has been suspect. The best bullpen in baseball is off to a mediocre start. And so it is something to be concerned about. And to keep an eye on, but uh, man, those last slow starts, you had Brantley, you had Jose Altuve, and right now they don't have any pop from the right side of the plate when it comes to power. It's all Tucker and Alvarez. Yeah, for a team where a lot of Astro fans are like, well, it'll be fine, and it's a long season and whatnot. Yeah, they do. they've got a lot of flaws right now. I think the thing that I'm worried about the most, John, is the bullpen. Um you know, I think the starting pitching is going to be okay, although the depth of it is problematic right now. But they're going to get Lance McCullers back at some point here, hopefully sooner than they got him back last year. Last year they got him back in the middle of August. I'm hoping he's back. He said he's ahead of schedule when when the when Berman talked to him earlier this week. Um, but I was just I've been worried about the the bullpen was going to naturally take a step back just because I don't think it was possible for them to pitch better than they pitched throughout last season and certainly in the play, they literally had the lowest ERA or second lowest ERA in the history of the world or in the history of the postseason last year. So they, they were like a 0.83 ERA as a bullpen. Um, but the regression has been worse than I thought. 
And, um, you know, Presley has not looked great. You know, he lost the first game of the year and then came in for an inning the other night and was, he was all right. I, you know, he got out, I think it was a one, two, three inning, but there, there was good contact that the other team had, you know, they needed a, they needed a diving catch by Bregman on a line drive to end the inning. So I, I, you know, that's your closer right now. Abreu, Brian Abreu has given up a home run. Stanek gave up a home run last night. It's just that's the biggest concerning thing to me is the bullpen right now. Of all the things, a lot of these things, I think we can just write off to. It's early in the season. It's going to find its level. They'll be better. Uh, they're going to get guys back. The bullpen right now is fully healthy, has all the guys they want all lined up right now, and it's just not very good. That's the one thing I thought they could count on. Every player back. They added Blanco. He's been great so far. And uh, Seth Martinez, he's been shelled two times. So I'd be interested to see, and I know this will happen, Sean, where uh, you pay close attention and look at the stats, the production of every major league player who was in the World Baseball Classic and see if it helped them get off to quicker starts, oh. if it, if there's some kind of thing where the, the majority get off to slow starts. I'm guessing it won't show anything significant, but I'm still interested in it to see the impact on it early in the season. Yep. Um, so, uh, so we'll, you know, the Astros, hopefully they straighten some things out, figure a few things out here. They head on the road to Minnesota, frigid Minnesota, and I'm guessing uh, probably a slightly frigid Pittsburgh for the next six games. So these, these are all winnable games, obviously, but um, but they've got to hit the road to do it. Um, John, as far as the Texans go in the draft, C.J. Stroud in this week. Have you seen a date on when Bryce Young is coming in? Do you know? No, I have no idea. I just okay. know D'Amico Ryan said the quarterbacks would be in. You get to spend a day with them. You hang out with them. You cannot work them out. You got to go to them to work them out. I'm guessing, although, you know, they they see they have every play that they made in college. They can get practice tape if they want it. They may go and work out Young and Stroud where you can orchestrate it, not their quarterback guru orchestrating it at a pro day. And uh, they like to spend time with them and talk to them. Deshaun Watson made a great impression. When he came in as part of his 30 visit, the way he talked to veteran players that that gravitated toward him in the in the uh, cafeteria, so it's an important part of the off season off season. And then, you know, you have a local time where you, you can bring in local players and have them as well too. So that this is this is a big time to me. It's much more important the private workouts and the 30 visits and the local guys than it is to go to a pro day where everything is orchestrated like a Broadway play. Yeah. Um, it seems like everybody's favorite pastime now, John, at this juncture, and maybe it's this way every year, but the Texans haven't been looking in the draft for a quarterback for a while. So we're maybe more, more heightened, heightened sensitivity to it uh, this year than, than say last year uh, or previous years um, is that, it seems like there's a consensus top two quarterbacks. The Texans are picking second, not first. So they don't get their choice of those two quarterbacks. So the what if scenarios that involve them zigging when everybody thinks they're going to zag and drafting, say, Will Anderson or trading back or doing things where they wind up with somebody other than C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young at quarterback. 
you know, John, I'm trying to make what would have to happen in your mind for that for a non Stroud, non Young pick at two for the Texans on draft night? For Nick Casario to totally lose his mind in his third year of running the draft for the Texans, he knows they need a quarterback desperately. Look who he's employed. You know, they're down on Davis Mills, although I blame that on Pep Hamilton, not on Mills. Do they really think, do these people think they're going into the season when they're trying to create energy and, and hope and fanfare with Case Keenum and Davis Mills as their quarterback? I don't see it. I think now maybe he decides he wants Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. We'll see. But I think it's going to be the quarterback who the Panthers don't take. And I'll be happy with either one of those guys. And uh, if he were to take Will Anderson, Will Anderson's a terrific prospect. No baggage, great character. But then what's he going to do at 12? Hope that uh, he can get Hendon Hooker and play him in two years. I don't see Casario doing that. What everybody needs to remember, Nick Casario does not give a rat you know what. What fans think, what media thinks, he cares about what D'Amico thinks, offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick, uh, quarterback coach Gerard Johnson, and, of course, the McNairs, but none of them can make him do something. So if he doesn't think Bryce Young can withstand the punishment of a 17-game season and hopefully more at some point, then he's not going to draft him. If C.J. Stroud is gone and he doesn't like Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, then he's got to take Will Anderson. But, boy, the ramifications of that kind of pick by by Nick Casario could reverberate through this organization for two or three years because there's no guarantee they're going to be high enough next year. And then say, well, trade up. It's easy to say trade up, Sean, but that that takes a lot of draft capital they don't want. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, ask Carolina. I'm going to say this, John. Like, if you're if what you're saying about Nick is true, and I think it is, you know, he's going to make the pick. He thinks he's not going to make a pick because they, you know, they've got to generate hits on social media and keep fans happy. If anything, that increases whatever the increment is. It could be minute, but it increases the chances that they don't go with one of those two guys. I think most fans, a vast majority of them, want them to get either Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Absolutely. I think the media is that way too. I'm writing a column for uh, uh, gallerysports.com with Greg Grissom, the president, about how it how the hiring of Ryan's and having the second pick and 12 picks overall impacts the administrative side. Ticket sales, suite sales, sponsorships, and all of those are up because people are fired up. And that second wave, that second surge comes right after the draft when people see who they took. So if they take a, one of those two quarterbacks, Sean, that surge is going to just keep going. But if they don't take the quarterback, then it's going to be such a downer. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, let's get to some mailbag questions, John, because we got a lot of people. Quarterback, as you can imagine, is a big topic with people. mailbag at gmail.com. I'll start with our guy, Dave Howard, who actually has a question that kind of plays into what you and I were just talking about, about maybe them – going, you know, doing a hard left turn in another direction at two. A few weeks ago, John said that my take that Anthony Richardson should be a third rounder was one of the dumbest things he's ever heard. John, let me pause here. There's a lot of people that wear it as a badge of honor when you say that something they said is the dumbest thing they ever heard. I just want you to know that. So, um, and I feel like Dave is that way. 
Uh, continuing, last week, John reported speaking to a scout or someone who also suggested that Richardson is a second or third round pick. So maybe I'm not so dumb, but here's the deal. If the Texans want to pick Will Anderson at two and a receiver at 12, then pick Richardson, but well, he won't be there, or Hendon Hooker. Let's keep it focused on Hooker then. In the second round, I'm okay with that. He's a project. The knock on Davis Mills is that he's inaccurate. Richardson is also inaccurate, but he's bigger, stronger, faster, so he might be an upgrade, right? Okay, really, just take Young or Stroud and let's see what happens. Dave's kind of all over the place here, John, but he alludes to a scenario where they go Will Anderson at two, receiver at 12, and in hooker maybe with that either the 33rd overall pick or maybe they give up a pick to move into the first round let's say hooker gets into the 20 somewhere and they go you know what let's have this be our guy do you think texan fans walk out of the draft party on draft night happy with a class of anderson say jackson smith and jigba and then hendon hooker with a late first round pick they let me be as respectful as i can be that is not one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, but it's not going to happen. I didn't write anything last week about Anthony Richardson going in the second and third rounds. He's going top five, top seven at the lowest. He just keeps impressing people in shorts and a T-shirt. It's amazing how many highlights I watch him on TV and he's running. And I'm thinking he's not coming to the NFL getting all that money behind pick for running. And they show passes that he's thrown at the pro day, and at the combine, I want to see some great passes when he was at Florida last season and being rushed and they were being covered. But somebody's going to fall in love with him, and uh, that happens every year, and it's going to happen this year. Wouldn't it be something if it was Nick Casario? They don't want to start Davis Mills again. Case Keenum is not going to be their starter. They're going to get a quarterback. As far as Hooker, you can't guarantee that. I think Hooker's going in the first round. In my most recent mock draft, which will be on gallerysports.com tomorrow, I'm going to have him going 20th to Seattle. And if you want to trade back, say, 33rd to 20th, you're not going to be able to do it for one pick. And they got too many needs to give up a bunch of picks. You know, I think you'll end up with 9 or 10. He will trade up. But Hooker, besides missing this season because of his knee problem, you would have him at 26 or 27 as a rookie. And that's not as important as it used to be because they play a lot longer than they used to be, but I just don't see it. I also think he is going in the first round. You've been saying that all along about Hendon Hooker. You've, you've it's, been it's, steadfast it's, about that. And John Lopez asked me on Tuesday, why is his stock going up? I said, because people are talking to him. They can see the tape. They've been looking at the tape all along, but starting – when he came to the combine, and he is older, he is more mature. He was at Virginia Tech at Tennessee for two years, but he's really impressive when you talk to him, and he's very smart, and uh, people like that. So that's why stock is going up. They're looking at the tape. They're talking to him. They're, everybody recovers from torn ACL. Some are better than they ever were. So Hendon Hooker is a terrific prospect. Sean, if he wasn't hurt, we might be talking about him as the third quarterback. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I I I agree with that. I agree with that. All right, let's keep it moving. This is from Chris. John, right now, if you could put your, your hand over the player on the draft after the second round and just go by position, what are the positions where you – want the Texans, you just pick three positions for the Texans to come away with, with the second, 12th, and 33rd pick, what would those positions be? 
I'm glad you asked that because on sportsradio610.com, I have a column addressing that subject. We're all talking about the second pick, but let's talk about the others. So I'm assuming, Sean, they're going to take a quarterback first. Yeah. So then I think they're going edge rusher. And I think Nick Casario will trade down a little bit, pick up another pick like he did last year with Philadelphia and took Kenyon Green, take an edge rusher. Then there is a big run on wide receivers in the second round. And I'll list them, and there's some good prospects. But what if the top centers there, Joe Tipman, John Michael Schmitz, a Luke Wappler of Ohio State, one of those guys is there. They plug him in. He starts for at least till his contract's up. And there's still going to be good receivers in the third round. I believe they'll take a receiver, though, and look to solve the center issue in the third round when they had two picks. So I'm saying quarterback, edge rusher, and wide receiver with their first three picks. Okay. Uh, with a caveat that – center is uh warming up in the bullpen possibly yeah, it, better, it's, it better be a priority yeah you know Domenico wants to dominate up front on both sides of the line of scrimmage they have a really good offensive line except they have scott quisenberry at center and he's a good backup i don't think they want to go with him again but as a rookie quarterback and a rookie center are they too much are they asking for trouble are they gonna grow together and but they have to get that one done. That's why in the defensive line, with Jonathan Bernard and Jerry Hughes, and Jonathan's been hurt every year. Jerry Hughes is getting older. They need an edge rusher. They added next to Malik Collins, uh, part of the rotation. I don't know who will start. I'm guessing Sheldon Rankins at tackle with the son Ridgeway Thomas Booker in his second year. They they don't have to have a, a, a tackle with that 12th pick or that second first-round pick. So I, I feel strongly, knowing the way D'Amico says you have to dominate up front, they've got to have that rusher. But And you can't – there's some really good edge rushers who should be available with a 33rd pick. Decisions, decisions, and it's all just so interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. John, I can never remember a time where the fan base has been more uh, has been more on edge about the center position. <laughs> I, it's normally not a sexy position come draft time, but I this it feels like this fan base between Scott Quesenberry last year, Justin Britt the year before, the reign of overrated terror that was Nick Martin for five years, literally five years of Nick Martin at center um, and millions of dollars. I mean, really, they haven't had good center play. Really? I mean, I know Chris they had a year. Myers. Chris Myers. Yeah, I mean, they had, Ben Jones was there for a year, but Ben Jones didn't become a good player until he got to Tennessee, I don't think. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's been I, – I was. I have a piece that's going up at some point. I haven't decided when to – it's it's not real time sensitive. It's one of those pieces I have loaded for when I need to put something up on the Houston Press. But, I mean, three positions, John, if you think about it, that especially if you're going to be drafting a young quarterback, that this – Franchise has not been able to solve for a decade now. Center, not had a good one since Chris Myers in 2014, despite many swings at it. Uh, left guard, they've not had a good left guard since Wade Smith. I mean, they had, they had, because Brandon, Brandon Brooks was a right guard for this team. I mean, they had, they had Xavier Suofilo and Sineo Kelamete and Max Sharping and, I mean, and even up through Kenyon Green last year, like, I, you know, you hope Kenyon Green is the guy, but they haven't been able to solve 
left guard, honestly, really the interior of the offensive line for a decade now, and tight end. You look at the whole there since Owen Daniels, their tight end position has just been a slew of failed third round picks and journeymen. That's it. And, you know, we'll see maybe Dalton Schultz straightens that out for a year, but you only got him for a year. Those are three really crucial areas. I think that, that this team, it goes beyond Nick Casario, not being able to solve it. Like they haven't been able to solve this for, for a decade now. Deshaun Watson was able to cover up some of that for a few years. D'Amico Ryan said at the league meetings, a tight end is a quarterback's best friend. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they signed Dalton Schultz. And if he plays well and they want to pay him, they can keep him. That'll be up to them. And I still believe in Kenyon Green after playing every position at A&M. He struggled against power rushes. He's working out like crazy to get stronger. I think he'll be a good left guard. I'm guessing Shaq Mason will be a good right guard, but they still got to get a center. They knew Justin Brent was stopgap. They knew Quisenberry's a backup. It must be addressed. Uh, Connor McGovern, not former Cowboy, but the Jets, he started every game for the Jets, and he's out there. And yeah. I don't know why they haven't re-signed him. And, and I'm guessing Casario doesn't like him or has made him an offer. He thinks he's going to get more. So I haven't given up on another veteran stopgap, but I'd like to see him get a player, if not in the second round, with one of their two third-round picks that they think could come in and and work his way into the lineup, and they don't have to worry about him anymore. And that's where you usually get centers. Everybody'd love to have a Tyler Linderbaum like the Ravens got last year, but those guys don't come along every season. But there's three good ones and a guy TCU, Steve Avila, is a guard who can play center. There's really four guys that are that people think have a chance to be really good. And I'd love to see the Texans get one. All right. Uh John Caleb wants to know who flinches first in the Aaron Rodgers saga. I believe that uh, the Packers know what they want. And the Jets know it. I think it'll be a second-round pick this year, and it'll be a second-round pick next year that can be a first-round pick based on if he plays and what he does this year and what the Jets do. And then may, they may throw in another one. But I don't think the Packers, having the needs they need around Jordan Love, want to get no picks in this draft for Rodgers. They're not giving up that top pick, 13th, and the, and the Packers know it. So go for the two. They got two or three, a couple of them, I think. Maybe a third rounder, fourth rounder, and then shoot for the stars on the first round pick next year, which if everything goes according to plan would be a low pick because the Jets would be a lot better. Um, Gus in Galena Park wants to know, John, this question just came in within the last few hours. Um, what do you think happens in this Arizona situation with these burner phones and Terry McDonough? And for those who don't know, Terry McDonough is a former executive for the Arizona Cardinals who working for Michael Bidwell, the owner, he was in the front office and he worked with Steve Kime, the GM there. 10 years. For, for many years. Yep. And uh, during the 2018 suspension of Kime, which was during the summertime, it was a five week suspension for a DUI. The report allegedly, according to McDonough, uh, who's no longer with the Cardinals, Owner Michael Bidwell asked, demanded, that McDonough and head coach Steve Wilkes, who was the head coach at the time, use burner phones to communicate with Steve Kime, which would have been illegal under NFL rules because when you're suspended, you have 
to have to cut off all contact with the organization for the period that you're suspended. McDonough didn't want to do it. Uh, he says that Bidwell reprimanded him, like literally like, like gave him a reprimand on his employee evaluation. And then beyond that, he got kind of blackballed around the league and wasn't able to get any promotions to GM position. So it's not a lawsuit. It's an arbitration that's been sent to Roger Goodell. But it's it's a pretty fascinating case because in addition to the McDonough stuff, it's, there are other accusations against Bidwell that he's discriminated against employees internally, that he's harassed women. You know, some of these things that you we hear about other organizations and whatnot. And the Cardinals also, I think it's worth mentioning, John, finished last in that player survey of things like the weight room and the cafeteria and the treatment of players, treatment of players' families. They were 32nd in that vote of 1,300 players. Texans were fourth, by the way. Um, what do you think happens with all this? And they charged players to eat in their lunchroom. Yeah, there's that too, up. yes. Now, McDonough, it's a, it's the it's the grievance procedure. Goodell can handle it or he'll assign somebody to it. And you can't go to court. That's uh, the contract that you sign. So uh, those are serious, serious charges. And if it's true, he violated the rules. He could be fined, but there's a maximum you can find them. And it's, a, you know, it's like uh, lint on their shoulder. Flick it off because they make so much money, uh, $400 million before they ever sell a ticket. Um, so uh, the other thing is the Cardinals responded. And they eviscerated Terry McDonough. I mean, I read it. It's on Pro Football Talk. They get into his uh, domestic. They say he had domestic abuse issues. They talked about his temper. They say they have witnesses. They just kill Terry McDonough. And you don't see teams generally do that. They may have a response that comes from a PR agency and says, you know, we're check. We disagree. We're checking into it, and uh, and leave it at that. But I mean, they went after him like I have never seen a team go after a former employee, and it is fascinating. And obviously, he has. If they get Steve Wilkes involved, he was fired after one year as a head coach, so he's got a bone of contention there. And if and if they start talking to witnesses and all that, it could go a long time but it could be ugly. Obviously, McDonough's not going to be in the NFL anymore, but the way they treated him in their response is Oof. just unprecedented. Seth had a good comparison today on Payne and Pendergast, John. He said it reminded him of when the Astros put out that statement about the journalist who had made comments about Brandon Taubman or who had alleged that Brandon Taubman came over to a handful of female reporters and was – you know, basically saying, hey, what do you think about Ozuna now, about Roberto Ozuna? And the Astros not only denied it, but they discredited the journalist. And it turns out there were witnesses that said she was 100% correct. And they eventually fired Brandon Taubman, had to apologize to her. Um, in terms of the aggressiveness, obviously, it's a little bit apples and oranges just based on the, the different cases and the sports and whatnot. But it, it was it was where, you know, the Astros got out over their skis with that and it didn't go well. I, the, to me, the, interest, the most interesting thing is the fact that, that McDonough is saying he's got the phone with the evidence on it. You know, like it's he's literally saying, I have the phone and it's got evidence on there of all this. I mean, if he's got that and it's compelling evidence, uh, you know, the card, that's a rough spot for the Cardinals. This is what I was thinking too, John. 
you're right about the fines. The fines are just doop, flick it off the shoulder. It's probably too quick to adjudicate this whole thing before the draft, but the Cardinals do have the third pick in the draft. That would be awfully painful if all of a sudden they got that ripped away from them, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's not going to happen. They I know, I know, but it's fun to think about. And they would never take away something that, that important to an organization. They would find Bidwell, suspend him, might take away a draft choice uh, next year. But uh, that thing on the Astros, that response was short and sweet. This is in-depth and takes a while to read it. And I'm not a slow reader. And my wife said, okay, the show's coming on. I said, well, just hold your horses. i got to finish reading this. And a lot of the paragraphs I had to read twice to make sure I understood what they meant. But it is ugly. Can you imagine if this were to play out in court? And Michael Bidwell's not any confidant of Roger Goodell, so he has no problem giving him a straight suspension, possibly a draft choice and a maximum fine. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, All right, John, last one. This is from Lorenzo. He says, I was listening to the latest episode that came out on Astros opening day, and both you and John touched on the Titans wearing the Oilers jersey for a home game against the Texans. I don't know if I'm one of the few, but I have to tell you, I freaking hate the Titans. Uh, Lorenzo, you're not alone. The fact they used to be the Oilers makes me hate them even more. My question is, do you or John get the sense that most Texan fans feel the same way as I do, or am I one of the few crazies who absolutely loathes the Titans? Just to be clear, I'm born and raised in Houston. I was born in the 80s. I still hate them more than the Chiefs, the Patriots, even more than the Cowboys. Sorry for the rant. Thanks, guys. Keep up the excellent work. I don't think that most people, excuse me, Sean, hate the Titans. I I know a lot of people here who are Oilers fans who still like them. They like the Texans or they don't like the Texans, but this rivalry has never been what it should be. Mm-hmm. And the reason is they've never played for the playoffs. They've never played in the playoffs. They had some controversy when Jeff Fisher and Gary Kubiak were there, but they had guys kicked out and fighting in the games and Texans won in Nashville, but they couldn't sustain it because you need both teams to be good at the same time. And they haven't been. And, and what I was told by Jim Wyatt, who who does a great job for the, Titans website and Paul Kaharski, they've covered that team forever. They say there's a chance that the jerseys, the Oilers throwbacks, which have not been worn since the first preseason game in Canton when I was there, thought they looked really cool, that there's a chance they could be worn when the Texans play up there. They wouldn't weigh them here, wear them here. And both of those guys have said they've checked. And so I'm going to write a column on this because I think there are enough people here who were Oilers fans and who would be infuriated even though the Oilers are Titans because the Oilers were such a big part of Houston. So I think it's great. I'd love to see those uniforms again. Can you imagine, Sean, the talk shows in Houston, the fans, how irate they are? And then if the Texans were to win, I can't wait if that's going to be official. I don't know when you have to make that official, but I hope they do it. Yeah. That'll be fun. They, I, we, this That rivalry does need some sauce. You're right about that. Uh, all right, John, what do you got going on on your various platforms? I will, I've got a column on uh, sportsradio610.com looking at the 12th and the 33rd picks and beyond, and uh, I'll have my fourth mock draft on gallerysports.com, and I'm working on a column right now for Gallery Sports about Greg Grissom, the Texans president, and how – having a second pick and hiring D'Amico Ryans and fans 
being so excited, how it's affecting that side of the organization, which has really suffered. He called it challenging the last two years. Well, that's a nice way of putting it, but it was and what it's like for them. Sean, I appreciate it. As always, thank you very much. And thank you to the listeners. Absolutely. Big thanks to the listeners. Big thanks to Figgy Fig for getting this podcast out to you each and every week. We appreciate him. Big thanks to all of you who subscribe and listen and give us all the great feedback. We're ramping up to the draft. This is a great time to be subscribed to this podcast as we uh, roll towards the draft. A few more visits from some guys. We'll probably mock a few of these between now and the time the draft hits. And we'll have you covered all week long. Uh, during the NFL draft here on the Hugh football podcast. So click that subscribe button if you haven't already so you get the podcast dropped right to you without having to do a, a damn thing. You just hit that subscribe button and uh, you're good to go, whatever platform it is you use to listen to your podcast. So for the Hall of Famer, John McClain, I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will be back, barring an emergency, in which case we'll do more podcasts. We mean, we mean a podcast emergency, barring something big, going down between now and next week. We'll be back with a couple of episodes next week as we continue the march towards the draft. Until then, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy some Astros baseball. Go Strohs. Go Texans. Go go the city of Houston. And go all of you for listening. We appreciate you. Have a great day, everybody.